Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. This is Bill Koch, sports writer for the Journal, in my Warwick home, uh, late on a special Tuesday night edition of the pod. Uh, schedules aligned. We're not in our usual morning block. Uh, we've had to kick back a couple days because we are entering one of the busiest months on the calendar and one of the best months on the calendar if you're a college hoop fan. February is here. We are in the thick of conference schedules. Uh, some of our teams right in the race at the top of their respective leagues. Some of them battling to try and get into the top half and put themselves into NCAA tournament position. Really interesting times here in the Ocean State. Uh, I'm joined as usual by my two co-conspirators. First, the sports director at WPRI and Fox Providence, Maury Hirsch-Gordon. Maury, how are we doing, babe? Five weeks from tonight, we will be heading to the Big Apple for potentially a Bryce Hopkins player of the year, potentially a Tyler Kolick player of the year, maybe a PC Friars regular season championship. Oh, the best time is uh, right about now, boys. Beautiful thing. Let, let's just go tomorrow and forget the next five weeks. I'd be all in for sure. Uh, also joined as usual by... The sports director at ABC6, the weekend co-host of Cordishi and Coit on WEI Providence. Nick Coit, ladies and gentlemen. Coity, how we living? Doing great. It's a great time of the year. Uh, I was just out at some high school hoops games uh, before we started the pod and seeing some familiar faces. Everybody's living in the gym, whether you're a player, coach, this time of the year. Everybody loves it, every different level. Um yeah, it's it's this is fun. It's fun to talk about it. We're getting closer now that we start looking at bracketology. It means more because we're like we're closer. So you get a hint of it. Like, yeah, it's awesome. It's about to get cold, but these these times get us through the cold temperatures, which is very nice. Thankfully, they don't play these outside. Uh, we'll be nice and warm inside. You you bring up a good point, Coit. Uh, we will have boys and girls division champions by the end of this month. Uh, and we are on the road to the Ryan Center, which will be in the second week of March for the Interscholastic League. Th those are always fun times. They're great tournaments. Uh, kids play with great passion. It's it's really enjoyable to watch. I uh, want to start the pod with a couple notes of congratulations to Maury. First, I'm becoming an uncle. Congratulations, hey. my man. Here we go. Uncle Maury, how you doing? Hey. <laughs> yeah, it's, un I mean, unbelievable. Koch, you know, Koi, you know, like... You get all the bennies and none of the responsibility. It's like, unbelievable. What did, what did I say to you, Maury? You throw up. You just walk out the door. It's not your kid. <laughs> That's what I said to Maury. I said, I said, you get to leave them. You get to leave them. You get to see them and you get to drop them off. It's great. It's it's a uh, it's a wonderful thing for sure. My my two nephews are, are two of the lights in my life for sure. And uh, I know Maury's niece Ava will be uh, Sierra's sister. Had, had a baby last week, uh, wonderful occasion, one that we will all celebrate here on the pod. Uh, a little less celebratory for Coit and I, but certainly no less for Maury, is that his Eagles are into the Super Bowl. Um, Go ahead. Go ahead. We'll give you 30 Gang, gang, bird gang. <laughs> bird gang all day, ladies and gentlemen. Jalen Hurts, MVP. Jason Possible. Kelsey, the better Kelsey, bro. And Andy oh, Reed. I agree with that one. I agree with. And Andy and Andy Reid is about to uh, get a smacking from his old team. The Eagles are in the house. I think, and I was going to put this out there the other night. 
I think the consensus, at least around here, talking to people that we talk to, is Phillies Astros World Series. It was, hey, we all hate the Astros. Let's root for the Phillies. Now it's, you know, eh, we getting tired of Mahomes. You know what happened with the refs late in the game Sunday in the AFC Championship. You know, let's go Eagles. I saw a lot of people tweeting, let's go Eagles. So I think it's rare that Philadelphia becomes, you know, America's team in these big time games. Well, you know what it is, Maury? It's it's the fact around here that everybody when whenever anybody takes a shot or sniffs or anything, the greatness of the Patriots dynasty and the greatness of Brady, everybody around here gets territorial. Now, everybody doesn't want any anything to do with it because that's what we hold on to. And so if Mahomes gets another one, then you're talking about, all right, two Super Bowls, still pretty young. And, you know, and then Colin Cowherd's going on talking about how he's a goat, whatever. And around here, we're like, yeah, no, Tom, he's got six rings. He's only a third of the way there. So people are territorial. Well, Go hopefully eat. we can bring out the exterminator and uh, get it done for you guys. We uh, we probably have a fair amount of people who run a route against Brittany and Jackson Mahomes, but we're not necessarily going to take shots in in that way at people's families. We're we're not going to do that. We're we're oh, not yeah. going to do that. Oh yeah, here on the pod, maybe a little bit, maybe a little, but but not maybe too much in depth. Uh, we would say that that Maury's got a lot of company here on the college basketball scene. Um, you know, we were up at Bryant. Earlier today, uh, Phil Martelli Jr., obviously Philly native, uh, big Eagles fan, raising his three kids to be Eagles fans. They're very excited. At this point, uh, the Friars with a sizable contingent of Eagles fans in their midst, uh, associate head coach Jeff Battle. You obviously have a city native in Ed Croswell, a suburban Philly native in Clifton Moore, a couple other guys who they brought in in, in Jared Bynum uh, and Rafael Castro. Also, Eagle fans, uh, you know, so they were excited uh, for two reasons on Sunday. Their most recent victory, also in Philadelphia, over Villanova, 70 65. The Wildcats, the only team in the conference that Providence had not defeated over the last two seasons. They lost to them twice. Last year, those were two of their three defeats in Big East play. Um, but Sunday, they made good for that, did an excellent job defending the three. Really gritty in the second half, erasing a seven-point deficit. And Jared Bynum was simply the man off the bench. 17 of his 19 points in the second half of that game. Uh, made a huge turnaround jump shot inside the final minute that that iced it. Um, he was a major factor in two wins last week for Providence against Butler and then against Villanova. Uh, guys, the Friars are 9-2. and two. They are tied atop the Big East. With Marquette and Xavier, they visit the Musketeers on Wednesday night. They started the second half of the season just as they finished the first half in in great form. Yeah, they were awesome. Um, second half, it really turned it around. You got contributions from everybody. And I, I think that play with about, what, four and a half minutes to go where they almost turned it over at half court and then they got the ball back, I, I think that was just the – sort of defining play of the of the second half, just the little things as as great as Jared Bynum was, which he was. And obviously he finished off that play. The fact that the Friars willed themselves to keep that possession, turn it around and and turn it right on Villanova. Uh, I, I was really impressed. And I think Ed Cooley has talked about too the fact that the last couple of games, the bench has really stepped forward too. 
Uh, I think we've seen a bit of a growth spurt from Corey Floyd Jr. Uh, he's given them really good minutes on both ends of the floor. Um, yeah, I, it's you're getting contributions from everyone. I think that just it it bleeds through when you have a guy like Bynum, who's a great leader, who comes back, who settles things down, who uh, it, you know it is confident in that role. I think it settles everybody else in. It allows everybody else to grow. They get behind that. Um, quietly again, I think Ed Croswell had, you know, really, really solid game. He, it's cliche to call him steady Eddie, but he really is just incredibly steady for this team. And so the, the, you know, the two guys that you had come back from last year's team that got to the sweet 16, those two guys are, are leading the way and everybody else around them is, is feeding off of them. And you add the talent that you have and you've got a recipe for a team that's tied for first in the big East again. Yeah, here we are again, right? Calendar's flipping to February, and, and Providence is going to have a chance to repeat, which is um, really impressive. Just a, a kudos to the to the staff. Obviously, it, it starts with uh, Ed Cooley bringing in the right talent, uh, taking the time to schedule properly out of conference-wise, even though their strength of schedule isn't great, uh, and they didn't do anything in the non-conference play. Uh, they still, I guess, approached it the right way in terms of, you know, making sure you picked up wins, making sure they were able to form a chemistry with different guys. And, um, you know, the way that, that they've been able to navigate the first 11 games, of the Big East has put themselves in position to repeat. The one thing off of Coit's points are, you know, what will Ed Cooley do now that Jared Bynum is back? Now that the team is full throttle, they've seemed to hit a little bit of um, – you know, a nice little run here with three straight tied atop the conference. You've got Xavier in less than 24 hours. Does Jared Bynum continue to come off the bench? I mean, we saw it in, in the two games since he's been back after missing four with the torso injury. He sparks a 15 nothing run in, in just playing 11 minutes in the win over Butler. And then he goes off for 17 of his 19 uh, in the second half. So uh, it's going to be fascinating to see. You know, we asked him after the game on Sunday against Villanova. He said he he doesn't care. I think I, I honestly do believe that. Um, but uh, it's just interesting to see if if a fifth-year senior point guard would take that kind of role, uh, knowing that he was a preseason first-team All-Big East guy, uh, and he is the unquestioned leader of this team. Yeah, very unselfish perspective from Jared, very mature perspective, which I guess you would expect from a fifth-year guy, but you don't always take for granted I suppose um, he was great in the game on Sunday. You look at his floor game, seven for eight from the field, five assists, which was a team high three turnovers, a little more than you'd like to see, but realistically didn't hurt them. And he contributed much more than he took away uh, his reinsertion in the lineup and Corey Floyd's growth gives Ed Cooley some options down the stretch. We saw Corey Floyd on the floor in crunch time late Um Gives them the ability in the backcourt to go away from Noah Locke or Alan Breed if they need to. Uh, that's nice options for for a head coach to have. Certainly something that that Bynum coming back and Floyd maturing a little bit here late in season will offer Providence going forward. Whether it's injuries, foul trouble, a uh, little variety in the lineup, whatever they're looking for, uh, Ed Cooley will have some choices to make. I, I look at their their roster at this point, guys, and, and what they've been doing well. Obviously, the other day they had great balance against Villanova. Guarding the three, much better. Uh, first eight games 
I think five opponents shot 37.5% against them. It's only happened twice in the last 14. It's much more typical of an Ed Cooley defense. Uh, against Nova, they went six for 23. Cam Whitmore was four for eight. He is fantastic. I'm sure every team in the league hopes he goes in the draft, like right now, is a one-and-done guy. I would not want to see him for another season if I was an opponent. He was four for eight from deep. His teammates were two for 15. He found his offense. Nobody else really did for Villanova. Uh, you know, it was hard work for the rest of their lineup. Uh, you know, Eric Dixon had 14, but it's all twos. Didn't necessarily do much in terms of creating offense for anybody else. Um, you know, they didn't get to the line a ton. You know, they're 11 for 14. It's not really too damaging. Providence defended them just fine. Uh, so they're in a great situation going into Wednesday at Xavier. And <laughs> as we harken back to last year, a hint of the lucky Friars kicks in earlier today with the, yeah. announcement, with the announcement by Matt Norlander from CBS uh, that Zach Fremantle will miss this game. He's got a stress fracture in his left foot. That's a previous uh, injury for him. He's had surgery on that foot before. He's going to miss at least a month at this point. Um, so Providence gets their first meeting with Xavier and likely their second without one of the big guys for Xavier in the middle, uh, a guy who was going to be an all-conference contender by the end of the year. Uh, let's see what Providence can do with it. They've lost road games against Creighton, against Marquette, two teams who are probably going to be in the top half of the standings. They still have road games with Xavier and with UConn. Is this the opportunity that they need to steal one of these and you know ultimately trend to – a 15 and five, 16 and four, that type of finish in the league. Yeah, it's tough to win on the road, but when this happens, I mean, you're getting them at the time where, you know, Xavier's got a few days to adjust here, you know, without Fremantle on the floor, try to figure out what they're going to do, you know, and so it's sort of early in that process, just like the Friars had to sort of figure out for a few weeks what to do without Jared Bynum on the floor. Um, you know, and to Maury's point, now they have to figure out what to do with him back on the floor. Um, I, I to to Maury's, uh, you know, sort of discussion there about, you know, Jared coming off the bench and, you know, being reinserted or re reemerging as that sixth man kind of role. Uh, I, I love the tweet from uh, former Friar Ted Bancroft. Teddy B was tweeting about Jared Bynum and some of his performances this week. And <laughs> he said, uh, Dion Waiters, he said, is Jared Bynum Dion Waiters right now for this team? And if he is, I mean, he just seems to be built for it. He comes off the bench and then, boom. I mean, the game just changes with him out there. And he said it's a it's a great thing. It's a great thing to have. And so, you know, I think for this team, um, you know, particularly you watch the beginning of that Butler game, they sort of struggled offensively. Jared gets in there and they take off. And so that's the argument for, okay, you know, Jared's got to start. He's got to be the starting guard. Um, you'd be okay with with that happening and reinserting him in the starting five. But it's interesting, guys. It, it really is because when Jared comes in, the game settles, the game changes. He has that kind of effect on it now. And so, I mean, either way you go, I, I think it's a win-win for the Friars, just the way that he's playing and he's, and he's back to form here. Yeah, I mean, last year, you know, Ed would bring him in sometimes well before the under-16 media timeout, the first one of the game. Uh, if something was going on, if someone got in foul trouble, if someone missed an assignment, you know, 18 minutes left in the first half, boom, there's Jared at the scores table ready to check in. And I also remember from last year, Ed saying that, you know, you're able with with the team last year and, you know, definitely this year with the talent that they have, when you bring Jared in with fresh legs 
and another team uh, in the Big East, you know, when they have their guys that start, their top guys, those guys have played four, five, six minutes already. So you get fresh legs versus, you know, definitely not tired legs four or five minutes into a game, but but definitely, you know, maybe a winded body or two. Um, and then looking at the top half of the Big East and the teams that you're going to be jockeying with position-wise, I mean, Xavier loses Fremantle, and they don't really run deeper than a true seven-man rotation. You know, Marquette doesn't have a whole lot of depth. Creighton relies on their starting five. You know, UConn's got depth, but, you know, right now they're five and six as we tape this podcast. If if they beat DePaul right now, they'll be back at 500. So uh, they're still missing a point guard, though. So, I mean, Providence, to me, is, I guess, the most dangerous if you consider if Bynum can play the way he did Sunday at Villanova for the rest of this season off the bench. Yeah, that would give them uh, quite a lift. Yeah, it gives them depth. You're right. That's a great way to point out the roster's boring, you know, particularly like a, a team like Creighton, like what's behind the five, you know, and these guys and the emergence of the bench, too, and the way that they've played recently, even behind Bynum is sure. it's a huge development, huge. Clifton Moore, I think, has given them lifted times like it's you go through all these guys. I mean, that's that's a tribute to the coaching staff and having these guys ready. And as we've talked about in the past, usually. I mean, we're talking about, what, a nine-man rotation consistently right now? Ed Cooley didn't go beyond eight the most, probably, right? I mean, so nine, it's a very strange thing for a Providence Friars team, but when you have that kind of depth and you have that many guys that can affect a game, you're playing them, and it works. It, it's still essentially seven. It, it's it's five fulls and four halves, I think. Yeah, you've got you've got nine, but he's, you know, he's sort of playing guys like – Couple minutes here, a couple minutes there. Uh, you're not not fully committed to to 20 minutes for guys off the bench, but it's Bill. It's not the six guys uh, in the rotation with one coming off the bench for a big <laughs> and Bryce Cotton averaging more than 40 minutes a game. So it's a big change. In that God, game. that uh, you you know you bring up Ted Bancroft, and I I think about that game at Butler a few years ago where Ted Bancroft played the whole second half. Uh, Ed Cooley found a lineup that he liked and just went with it, and it happened to include the walk on. Uh, you know, he did that at times with Drew Fonts, you know, where he'd just go stretches where he was mad at his other guards and he'd say, all right, that's enough. At least I'll put Drew out there. He won't make mistakes. He'll actually know the plays. He'll be in the right spot on the floor. Uh, you know, to heck with the rest of these guys. We're, we're going with Drew Fonts. Let, let's go. Um, you know, Providence, Xavier, uh, 6.30 on Fox Sports 1 Wednesday night. The Friars will have a week off after that. Uh, they will play the first of two games with Georgetown at home, a game they will be favored in and should win. And then after that, guys, uh, they really get into the teeth of the schedule. Uh, you go at St. John's, who who knows with them. We've talked about them plenty on this pod, but they are going to be dangerous at home. Creighton at home, huge game on Valentine's Day. Villanova at home at UConn. Georgetown on the road, Xavier and Seton Hall both at home. So really, Providence getting into the teeth of the schedule here over the last nine games. This is truly the business end of their season. Uh, you just I'll just throw this to, to you two guys, and then we'll move on somewhere else. What does Providence need their last nine games to win the Big East? What do you think the record is? So I think <clears> – <throat> I think they need five of the seven in February. And I think it's okay if you split Xavier. So if you drop Xavier and you drop UConn, 
If you win the other five, which is Georgetown at home, St. John's on the road, Creighton at home, Villanova at home, Georgetown on the road, you win those. If you're five and two, you're at 14 and four coming home for the final week of the season. That gives you an opportunity to go 16 and four. Yep. Um, If you go four and three, in February, I think then you started. You need to win the tiebreakers. You need a couple other things to go your way. Four and three would put you at thirteen and five, with the best chance of being fifteen and five. And that, and there's no guarantee you're going to win those last two at home. You just you would just like to come home with the opportunity to win the league. Um, and if that was in front of you, great. Now, if they if they happen to win tomorrow, uh, I think that totally changes things because then at worst you split Xavier. Um. But who knows? We'll see. I think I think five wins. If they go five and two in February, I think uh, I think they're going to have a chance to to win it at home at the Amp, like we saw them do last year. I, I see Coit doing some back of the napkin math here. Yeah, I'm just kind of looking and glancing at the schedule here for Xavier down the stretch. You got St. John's at home. You get Butler once, twice. So there's you know potentially two wins. You get Nova once. The Pauls on there. Xavier Marquette play each other. I, I think I think that's pretty good math from Maury. It's pretty safe. You know, I think you drop two of those games in February, go five and two, have a chance, you come home. Yeah, I, I think that's right around what you would need. Marquette's got UConn on the road. They've got Marquette on the road. That's tough. Um St. John's at home. You know, potentially you're looking at these teams dropping two to three games. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's pretty safe. You know, and like you said, you you come back in March, home, fourteen and four. Yeah, I, I think you you nailed it on the head there, Maury. I tend to agree with both of you guys. I, I think I think sixteen would probably get it done. Um, you know, because I think you'll probably have enough of the right wins. You've already got some of them in the bank. You, you've got some guaranteed splits in there, and, and maybe you could go for a sweep. Um, you know, Wednesday, if you're able to win at Xavier uh, and you play them down towards the end of the year with a chance to win the conference again on your home floor, I, I doubt that Providence is going to let that slip, Fremantle or no. Um, you know, I think back to last year when they played Creighton in their building with a chance to win that championship, the atmosphere at the AMP, uh, the way the students were, the way the fans were, it gets to a point where the crowd just isn't going to allow you to lose. Uh, unless you really go out and lay an absolute egg, uh, the atmosphere is going to be too hard. It's going to win the game for you. All you have to do is be a meaningful contributor in that way. Um, one of the teams that are going to be battling for this, of course, is Marquette, who has the Big East Player of the Week, and that's Tyler Kolick. I know Coit alluded to this earlier. Um, their most recent games, 89-69 over DePaul. Kolick, one rebound shy of a triple-double. 24 points, nine boards, 10 assists. He's nine for 14 from the field in 36 minutes. Marquette is the number one offense in the country. He is the point guard running that attack. He is eighth nationally in assist rate. Uh, he has yellow numbers across the board on Ken Palm. Yellow means good. It means you're in the top 500 individually in various categories. Uh, what a wonderful season he continues to have. We saw him play very well in two games against Providence. Nearly willed Marquette to win in the first game at the Amp in double overtime. 
and then got them over the line in the second game out in Milwaukee. Uh, guys, I honestly, uh, I cannot wait, you know, for so many reasons to get to New York, like Maury said off the top, but one of them is to watch Tyler play again in person because he has been outstanding so far this season for the Golden Eagles. It makes it look easy, right? Just like the the cuts, you know, that guys make through the paint. It's like the timing is just – and just it, it was that, that early play first half in the Providence game at Marquette where, you know, I can't remember – I don't know who he baited up, up at the top of the key, but it was just like – it was like easy. It's textbook, you know, and it's – it's amazing the vision that he has, you know, some of the long passes that he's he's sending, you know, across the court to some of the guys. You know, we always knew that Tyler could score. He scored in high school. He had a great shot in high school. He scored in volumes. But it's just his vision uh, is just it, it's supreme. It, it really is. Um, you know, and this and the size that he's added in the last couple of years. Um, has obviously made him into a, a heck of a prospect. He really is. And it's funny, anytime I go out to high school games, I was at Cumberland last night uh, for a girls game. And, you know, people bring up Tyler all the time, whatever. And like, hey, you think he'd go to the NBA? Hey, you think he, you know, you think he could play professionally? Whatever. I'm like, if he has that kind of vision and he can pass like that, I don't see how a team doesn't look at that as an elite skill and say, this kid can help us with that. It's like having a great shooter. It's like having a guy that can do certain things, a great defender. That's why last year we're talking about Justin Manaya with the Friars as a guy who could crack the league because when you can play elite defense, when you can do something at a high level, it makes you a great prospect. And I, I think the same thing for Tyler. If, if he has this kind of vision, what team's not going to look at that and say, like, man, he could be a really good point guard for us? And it's that's that is such a tribute to him. He's really crafty on the block with his body. Um, you know, he did it a few times at the amp uh, in late December there, whether it was buying him or whether it was breed on him. Um, yeah, that that added width has definitely helped. And just his overall confidence, uh, you can clearly see playing for Shaka Smart is uh has has done wonders for him. And yeah, I mean, if he w- if he wins Big East Player of the Year, or he, I mean, or if he's on first team All Big East, there's there's no reason why he's not going to get a look at Portsmouth uh, when the time comes. The Invitational for seniors, you know, he seems like a guy that'll stay in college a few more years. Um, you know, barring maybe some, you know, unforeseen run by Marquette to say the Final Four, and he really plays well on the national stage, uh, and he's got to leave then. But uh, this is a guy who who could play himself into a Chicago combine um, and, and, it, and, you know, potentially sign a two-way contract like we saw with David Duke, like we've seen a Cole Swider, uh, guys like that. The way the game is played now really helps him, and Marquette plays a very modern NBA-style offense where it's a lot of spacing, a lot of movement off the ball, guys getting to the basket off those cuts. As, as Coit mentioned, um, they're the number one two-point shooting team in the country. Uh, number two in effective field goals. They're top 25 in assists per field goals. And all that starts with your point guard. Um, if I was an evaluator, I'd like to see him shoot it a little better, particularly from three. Uh, I think that gives him more ceiling in terms of the NBA. Uh, he is going to be undersized at that level. So you would like to see uh, extremes in that way. Um, but his vision and, and his ability to run a team 
and be unselfish, uh, his grittiness as well, uh, are off the scale. And, uh, you know, he's really playing well for one of the best teams in the league. Uh, we know from Big East Media Day he does not lack confidence. Uh, when told that Marquette was picked ninth in the league, he had a rather profane response uh, to those who questioned that. Um, you know, basically, why the <laughs> do we need to be stuck there in ninth? I don't believe that. Uh, paraphrasing, but um, you got an idea of the substance of that guy. He is uh, prickly in, in a good way. Um, certainly helps him on the floor. So you look at the Friars in the Big East. They are right there at the top of the league. Uh, other team in our area who is right there at the top of the league is the URI women uh, who are currently the only unbeaten team in the Atlantic 10. Uh, they will come off a bye on Wednesday night hosting St. Joe's, a team that's sort of sliding down the standings a little bit, five and four, but a team that knocked them out of the Atlantic 10 tournament in the quarterfinals last year in an upset, uh, a team that was picked uh, in the top four of the league preseason, um, team that uh, is, is a pretty annual contender at this point. The latest chance for URI to make a statement. Um, and at this point, they've made plenty of them to date. Uh, their last time out, 57-53 at George Mason. It was a real slog in a road game, but the type of game that good teams win, uh, they don't necessarily drop against teams who are in the bottom half of the standings. And URI's made a habit of that over the last two years. Uh, Tammy Reese really has going in Kingston uh, and this could be another step towards, you know, what would be the unprecedented, uh, a regular season, A-10 title. It's all in their hands at, at this point. Um, you know, but, guys, I, I just wonder how you look at the roadie women as they resume uh, their schedule and their run into March here. Well, again, it's a team that has depth. It's depth. There's different players stepping forward and playing well. You know, on their last win, it was Sayani Lassiter down the stretch that was making buckets, that was getting to the free throw line, that was making critical plays late uh, to help this team sort of squeak out a victory when maybe it was a night where, you know, they weren't that dominant team that we've seen for, you know, a long time this season. Uh, and that's, again, a, a credit to, you know, the Rams that they're able to, you know, go out there and steal one from George Mason. Um, you know, and and outlast them. That's what good teams do. And again, it's just it's a different name every night. You know, uh, Maddie Haddix Covington had 15 points in that game. Um, you know, and she's somebody that has stepped forward at times as well. Whether it's Haddix Covington, Lasseter, Maya Torre is a double double machine. You know, you see little plays from you know, players like Emma Squires. Like this is, you know, this is a team that has a lot of depth. Um, and so, you know, some of these players have really stepped forward fast because there were a lot of na different names on this team and roster last year. Um, and so it's a, it's a tribute to the coaching staff that they've been able to, you know, coach them up and, and get them to this point so far this year. But I, I just, I look at that George Mason game and I say, that's a game where, you know, it's a good team because they're not running past you. They're not, you know, doing what they've done to a lot of teams in the A-10. They just do the right things on the road to get out of there with the win. Yeah, we were just talking about the the thin uh, rotations and the short benches on the men's side. I mean, Tammy Reese, you know, will willingly play, you know, nine, ten women deep uh, night in and night out. And they only have four more home games the rest of the season. Uh, I know she put something out there on social media today, but for a team that's 17-3, and three, they, 
they, they, they deserve the respect. They deserve uh, our attention for sure. Um, you know, especially if, if they can continue to take care of business here the next couple of weeks, they've got UMass at home right after Valentine's day on the 16th. Uh, and that one looks like it could be for the regular season championship, uh, as long as they hold serve their other games here, but, uh, definitely against St. Joe's they're celebrating women and girls in sports day. Uh, so it's a, a great, great event, great night. Um, and the Rams will look for, uh, for another win in a row. They've got a brutal run here coming up, uh, you know, starting with St. Joe's at Davidson, team that's in the top half of the league, George Washington at home, team that's in the top half of the league, at VCU, a little down this year, but always competitive and tough. And then a four-game stretch that that will decide the league, uh, UMass home at St. Joe's at Fordham, Dayton at home. Dayton's way down, but you add the pressure of potentially playing for a conference title in that last home game. Uh, you add that to senior night and the emotions that come with that. Uh, you know, I think back to the URI men when they played St. Joe's a few years ago, they already had the A-10 title clinched and just laid an egg in that game, lost by 30. Um, you know, and it was a, a real downer going in the conference tournament. Um, but I look at the URI women and, and I think to this point, they, they haven't really put a foot wrong. They've had a couple spots where they could have stumbled. And did not. Uh, at St. Louis was one of them. Tough road game. They sort of meandered along and, and then finished well. Uh, George Mason the other night was another. Uh, but as Coit mentioned, Sayoni Lassiter made some big free throws late. Uh, they got Ten and Magasa back for the first time this year. Preseason all-conference center transfer from Dayton. A game changer in that she is 6'5 and a rim protector. And somebody who, if they can round into shape over this la- last month or so, allows them to raise their ceiling against better teams. If you watch teams that they could potentially play in the NCAA tournament, all these power fives have a perimeter scorer, dynamic point guard, and someone who's 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", who can stand in the paint and just be a wall inside. And Magasa could be that person for them. Uh, She raises their ceiling considerably if they're able to get her in shape, up to speed, uh, and ready to go for the most important games of the year. Uh, all that starts Wednesday um, against St. Joe's. That is a, let's see. Six o'clock tip, babe. Six o'clock tip, ESPN Plus. Uh, I'm going to be in the house at the Ryan Center for that one. I plan to be there. Well, uh, go ahead, one thing one thing I want to say down the stretch, Bill, uh, February 16th, Thursday night, big game against UMass. But if Bill Koch isn't covering that game and not wearing his favorite 80s band T-shirt covering that game because it is 80s night at the Ryan Center, I'm going to be a disappointed guy. Man, I mean, which one do you want? I mean, I could break out a few. You tell me. Come on. I mean, you want – you want? so if I had to pick a favorite 80s band, I, I mean, I'd probably – I'd probably go with Guns N' Roses. I knew you were going to say Guns N' Roses. I, I think I think that's probably it. Uh, I've seen them live twice. They're fantastic. Uh, one of those bucket list shows that you never thought would happen. And when they did the stadium tour a few years ago, I thought, oh, I got to go. Uh, and Slash alone was worth the price of admission. He was incredible. <laughs> um, you know, if you're going to pick another 80s band, I, I mean, could you go wrong with, like, the police if you get them on a decent night? Oh, that's um, nice. You know, could you go wrong? This this isn't a typical '80s band, and I'm not the biggest fan, but certainly you too. You you'd want to see you too on a given night. Uh, you know, I know they're not 
typically cast in that genre, but that is when they came of age uh, in the 80s. Uh, certainly Def Leppard as well. I think uh, if you could get some swag from Def Leppard, uh, I, would, I wouldn't would, mind seeing them live. Would you, would you, I mean, I would go, Journey is, is an 80s band, right? I mean, they kind of were in the 70s, but then like, I don't know, they're part of that, right? Because that's the way I probably go. Yeah. You know, go our separate ways, if you will. You know, like that's the kind of direction I might go. Van Halen, obviously, too. Like, yeah, Peppers. Uh, Anyone? No, no one's a Peppers fan. I am. I I associate them uh, more with the '90s, but fair. Yeah, me too. They, yeah, me they too. Did, they did come out in the late '80s. He's or, right. Yeah, the '80s. Uh, ACDC too. I'd probably throw in the mix. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could put that. They had some huge hits, certainly right. in the '80s. Right. Um, All right, guys, get your T-shirts. We're going out. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta work on that. I gotta work on that for sure, for sure. I wonder if Tammy Reese will will break protocol with uh, coaches' uniforms because that's Pass. her era. That's Pass. her era, as we know. Oh yeah. You know, we gonna we gonna see some throwback stuff like from when she was killing it in upstate New York in high school. You know, we're gonna have gonna raid the closet from then. <laughs> Why not? Be outstanding, wouldn't it? That's great. Uh, <laughs> St. Joe's would be like, what's going on? I mean, uh, UMass would be like, what's, what's going on what here? What's going on, yeah. What the heck, right? Yeah. Um, Let's segue to the URI men, guys, because I, I think that, that they had the most noteworthy result of their season last week, and they parlayed that in, in, into another win over the weekend. Uh, upending Dayton at home, uh, one of the preseason conference favorites, 75-70 at the Ryan Center. They followed that up. With a rally past LaSalle, seventy-two seventy on Saturday, uh, their best two-game stretch of the year. I don't think it's close. Uh, what they were able to do against Dayton, I thought, was really impressive. The grit they showed, the resolve they showed down the stretch after going down by eleven early, uh, and then the way they were able to rally past LaSalle and just make them succumb over the last eight minutes. Uh, you know, basically force the Explorers to give them the game. Um, you know, I thought it was a really important step forward that they took in those two games, just from a mental perspective, just the mental toughness they showed, the grit they showed in those two games. Uh, you know, the what they showed from the standpoint that they went into those two games six and thirteen. Very easy to quit when you get into the dog days and you're six and thirteen and the building isn't full and you're coming off. You know, road losses against UMass and Richmond and a, and a home effort against George Mason where you weren't, weren't really very good. You trailed from start to finish. You're called out by the head coach after based on what you put on the floor. And then you respond by beating what's arguably the best team in the league, in my mind, in Dayton. I, I was really impressed by the URI men just from a mental perspective with what I saw from them over the last two games. Well, I was sitting baseline for the Dayton game, Bill, and and the most impressive thing to me was it's the the first question I asked in the post game press conference to Archie Miller was, you know, are you is it a sign of progress the fact that you were able to punch back tonight when Dayton threw its punches, and he said yeah because he said it like all season we would go on these good good runs good stretches whatever and then a team would throw its haymaker go on its run, 11-0, 12-0 run, and we wouldn't be able to find the offense after that. It would just disappear. We'd take the shot, and we wouldn't be able to punch back. And that night, you know, your your three top guards 
you know, Freeman, Leggett, and Carey, I thought really helped in terms of throw, throwing the punches back. I mean, Ish Leggett has been a stud. I, there's been a, an outcry in Kingston this week after, you know, the, the weekly awards were put out, and rightfully so, because Ish had a heck of a week for the Rams. He really did. Um, he was a leader, and, you know, le- that's what leaders do is that they they help settle things down for their teams and make plays when they need them. And I thought, you know, sitting there for the Dayton game, he, he was really impressive. I, I love the, the you know, you, you talk about the mental side of it, Bill. Every time Brayon Freeman hit a shot in that Dayton game, he's coming down the floor. He's got, he is smiling ear to ear. And I'm like, this kid is playing, he is playing free. He's playing fun. He's, he's got a lot of joy. And, and I think that goes a long way. It really does. Cause he's saying in the postgame presser, like, how could you not have fun? We're to play basketball and, and do this. And it's, it's fun. Don't play angry, play, play with joy. And it just, it showed in his play you know, the enjoyment that they were getting out of this. And that tells me that they feel like the work that they're putting in is paying off and they're showing the progress and they're taking the steps forward that they want with this coach who they are buying into and this new culture that they are buying into. And it's a great sign of progress. It really is. And like you said, to you know follow that up with the game that they had against LaSalle and rallying the way they did, um, it, it's been really impressive. I've also been impressed, guys, with the crowds. The last couple of games at home, I think they've been really good crowds. Bill, you probably have the number. I, I don't know what the number was in the box score, but really impressed. You know, Rams fans are are showing up, you know, as this thing's going and, and they can see it too. You know, LaSalle was 65-30 to that point, and they would have been over 7,000 if some of the students could have been bothered to show up. Uh, you know, they, they were really disappointing on, on Saturday. Uh, you know, I understand it's an afternoon game and it was a nice day, and I'm sure – you know, a few of the students were were out on the lawns in in South County a little early, and you know maybe get getting their weekends off to a good start. And I get it. You know, I was that age once too. I I certainly was, uh, you know, not averse to a, a little day entertainment and and still enjoy it for that matter. Um, you know, but I think it was a, a good showing by the fans to your point, and really felt like a home court advantage. Uh, you know, certainly against Dayton, and then again against LaSalle. You knew the tangible results would come. You just didn't know when. Uh, And Archie Miller had talked about it for a while, about the long road stretch that the team had been on, coming back home, sleeping in your own bed, practicing every day, not having to travel, not having to miss class. All that stuff really, you know, uh, snowballs after a while. The thing I've been most impressed with is, is some of the responses from questions from the student athletes, whether it be before games or whether it be after games, whether when it's like, hey, when things don't go our way, we're going to have to do what we do better. I think the approach and the mindset has completely changed. So that's where you could identify a couple weeks ago before they won these two games. Hey, the culture's changing. The results just haven't come yet. And when you do then finally have a breakthrough like they did against Dayton, considering the slow start that they had, uh, that that was to me the most impressive part. And, uh, you know, now the nucleus of this team going forward is Ish Leggett, Brayon Freeman, and Jalen Carey. You know, that's that's who it is. They, they've been efficient from the floor. They, they, they take the right shots most of the time. They play within themselves. Uh, you know, you just think back to November when Archie Miller would just let play go on and on and let them figure it out and, you know, let him just soak up these types of players and what their games are and let things maybe just happen in a game so you have it on film to teach afterwards. 
you know, in the body language that he would have when there would be turnovers or there would be shots, you know, taken five seconds into a shot clock when you could have probably swung the ball around the key another time or two. And uh, it's just, it's, it's a credit to him and it's a credit to the program. Um, I don't think though, this is just going to be the turnaround and boom, they're going to go win, you know, five, six, seven, eight straight now. And they're going to finish in the top eight of the league and and it's all going to be good and well, and they're going to have a buy or two, you know, in the A-10 tournament in Brooklyn when we come that way in March. But um, at least you have these signs, you have these, you know, six, seven days to look back on, even if things do get tough when they do get tough and say, hey, you know, we were able to put together a string, string together a few wins. Now it's, can we do the same thing on the road? That's what I'm looking for now. Okay, great. These two games are behind us. Like any team, when a team loses a close game, hey, we flush that one out. We have to focus on the next. Same thing after a win. You can't just like say, hey, it happened last Tuesday and Saturday. It's going to happen Wednesday night at St. Joe's. URI is one of, I believe, I was looking it up before the podcast and we're a little bit into the podcast now, so I don't have the number, excuse me, but I think it's, they're one of 25 teams in the country that does not have a win on the road this year. So Mm. there's, if there's 350 some odd teams in the country, that's less than 10% that do not have one road win. Now, granted, they played a lot of home non-conference games uh, and they went for three in a neutral site, but, you know, they're still 0-6 on the road. Um, so let's see if they can continue to improve with that. Archie Miller's still not worried about results. He still said we got a lot better Jan one to Feb one. Now it's, can we get better Feb one to March one? Uh, and winning a road game is part of that approach and part of that improvement that he's looking for. Your, your larger point is the absolute correct one. And that's that growth is not linear. It, it's just not, this is not going to be in a straight line. And we were reminded of that over the course of these two games. Uh, you know, the first 10 minutes against Dayton, it looked like they were going to get run out of the gym. They were down 11. Ken Palm gave them an 8% chance to win when it was 22 to 11 midway through the first half. They were plus 16 the rest of the way. Ishleggett says after the game, if things aren't going our way, we're going to make them go our way, which is a hint of how those guys are thinking and how they feel right now. Um, you would think that, if growth were a linear concept coming off Dayton, here comes LaSalle, a team they should have beaten on the road and did not. They're going to blow LaSalle out of the gym. This will be easy. They're down 14 with 10 minutes left, a game that they added barely a 10% chance of winning, according to Ken Palm. And Archie Miller makes what ended up being a brilliant coaching adjustment going to the small ball lineup with Malik Martin at the five, trying to get more energy on the floor, trying to rush LaSalle on the perimeter, uh, get out to three-point shooters, close them out a little more effectively, try to lo- run a little bit more on the fast break, create some more driving lanes against the foul line. That, that's that been the most consistent way URI has scored this year is at the line, uh, and it worked. And, you know, I think that's when you look at Archie Miller and you think, you know, why did we hire this guy specifically? His track record at Dayton being what it is, uh, this guy just didn't lose a lot of games, especially not his last four seasons, uh, you know, with the Flyers. Had a little tougher go at Indiana, of course, but, you know, you turn him loose in the A-10, he's had a great amount of success in this league. And you look at URI, even with the inability to win on the road, they're still four and five as they hit the midway point in the A-10. Uh, on their way to something approaching Eight and ten, nine and nine in the league, and what is a full rebuild? Uh, you know, trending towards potentially avoiding 
that first day of play at the A-10 tournament, which is sort of like the scarlet letter. Nobody wants to play in that one. Uh, you know, those three games are, uh, I know you or I fans call that the pig. You know, no one wants to play in the pig. Um, you know, it's sort of embarrassing to be playing on that first day. And that's where they were last season. Um, you know, so even that would be a sign of, of progress if they were able to avoid those bottom six spots. And and as they're trending right now, they have a chance to, um, you know, they go to St. Joe's, another team who's playing a little bit better in the league. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think if you were really cynical, you would say they're trying to save Billy Lang's job uh, on Hawk Hill um, you know, because they have really struggled in his tenure at the helm. Uh, they're four and five in the league. If they're able to win one more game, they would match their season high for wins in conference play in his tenure to date. This is his fourth season. Uh, they're two and 16, three and nine, five and 13, and now four and five. Um, you know, play with a great deal of pace. They don't necessarily defend all that much. You or I could find it a, a little easier to score, a little easier to get up and down in this game. Um, you know, but you need to do the things that, that served you well against Dayton and against LaSalle. And that's obviously rebounding, taking care of the ball and getting the foul line. Um, you know, those things have been pretty much points of emphasis from Archie Miller from the time he took the job, from his introductory press conference, from media availability at the start of the year. And, you know, they were able to do those things pretty well uh, against Dayton and LaSalle. It's no coincidence they were able to win games by doing those things well. And so I, I look at, uh, you know, Rody now starting a three-game road uh, road swing here. St. Joe's, St. Louis, which will be a really tough one next Tuesday, and George Mason, uh, you know, team that left them with an awful taste in their mouths last time out. Uh, and I would imagine that they'll be clamoring to play the Patriots in, in that game. Um, so Wednesday night, that's a 7 p.m. tip. I think that's ESPN+. Plus. Um, double check your local TV listings. Um, you know, guys, we, we look at Brown next, uh, you know, because I think Brown also at the midpoint of their season and, and entering two really important road games this weekend that, that could ultimately define where they end up. Um, you know, I think they need minimum a split against Dartmouth and, and Harvard uh, to keep alive any hopes of, of the top four in the league. Uh, Brown is three and four in the Ivy. Uh, dropped back below 500 with a loss at Cornell, 80-73 uh, against the Big Red. Cornell currently um, tied for the lead in the Ivy League at 5-2 and two with Princeton. Uh, the Tigers, oddly enough, a team that, that Brown has beaten on its home floor. Um, you, know, but you look at Brown against Cornell, uh, you know, couldn't necessarily slow them down quite enough on offense. Uh, Chris Mannon had... 23 and 11 and, and was a real menace in that game. Um, you know, Brown didn't have quite enough secondary scoring. Paxson Wojcik had a good night with 22. Kino Lilly was five for 11 from three. He had 17. Beyond that, you only had one other double figure scorer and you're really shorthanded if you're Brown. Uh, no Dan Friday, no Kaluanya, no Malachi Nadur. Um, Coit, at some point, are they going to hit a tipping point with these injuries here? I mean, I, I think not having Dan Friday on the floor and competing the way that they did with the already thin front court, um, you know, that's that's impressive for the Bears on the road, um, you know. But having him back, hopefully, 
hopefully, um, you know, will really help their cause because he's sort of been there like, okay, we don't have Kaluanya and we don't have Malachi Nadur. And so we need somebody else to help out Nana Usuanane uh, in that front court. And, you know, it's Ben Dan. Yes, he's undersized for, you know, trying to guard some of the bigger players in the league, but he's a brick wall. He's their, one of their strongest guys, if not their strongest guy. And so they they could really use him back. Particularly, you know, when I look at the Harvard game, when they played him the first time around, they matched him up on Chris Ledlam. And he's and he actually did a pretty good job. Um, you know, he's he's it's sort of that that Celtics Bucks Marcus Smart guarding Giannis Antetokounmpo kind of kind of matchup where it's like, okay, Giannis is a lot bigger. Um, you know, and I know it's apples and oranges here because it's, you know, one of the best players in the world and Giannis, but like just thinking about the the size advantage there, you know, but just how strong Marcus Smart is as a, as a defender. That's sort of the way I think of, you know, what I think of with Dan Friday. And so um, I just I think that's key. I think that really is um, because it just gives you another body too, you know, to make sure that Nana is not, you know, pulling most of the the workload there because, you know, he's he's probably had to. You're giving more minutes to a younger guy like a Landon Lewis, um, you know, but they could they could use all the bodies they can get here um, because they they definitely have been thin and um, it's going to be a grind. It's going to be a grind for the guys they put on the floor. Paxson Wojcik has been really, really good. Yeah, like, right. Really good. He's up to seven boards a game. He's averaged three last year. Uh, his points have jumped four a game. Field goal percentage up two and a half percent. With two and a half more shot attempts per game, his, he's shooting the three ball almost forty percent, just under thirty nine percent from deep. I mean, he's been tremendous, and he's played thirty four and a half minutes a game. They, they've needed him, uh, and he's come through. He's been really good as as a uh, a Batman to uh, or as a Robin to Kino Lilly Junior. If, if Lilly Junior is the Batman, so uh, he's been really good this year. And I agree with you, Koch. I mean, you're you go zero and two this weekend. Uh, you're three and six. You're sort of in the gutter. Your your season's on life support. Um, I, I think they need to go two and zero. I think one and one still doesn't get it done. Um, with respect to you're not going to get first or second place in the Ivy if those two are taken care of for um, for Cornell and Princeton. You're fighting. There's four teams fighting for two spots. Um, so if it's Dartmouth, Brown. Harvard, Penn, then you have to you have to win both to get to five and four, um, because then you then you've got Cornell and Princeton on the back end uh, still to come that you still have to play. So uh, if you win both, you sweep Dartmouth, you have the tiebreaker against the Big Green, and you beat Harvard, you you split against them. Yes, you go one and one. It's either you split against both or you sweep Dartmouth, but you get swept by Harvard. So you're still losing a tiebreaker there. Yes. Um, so I, I, I think it's 2-0 or bust. Um, not that they can't win their last five straight games, but I'm not sure if you go 0-2, even like 8-6 still might not have the right tiebreakers over the correct teams. A sweep over Cornell and they win the Ivy League, great. But will that necessarily break the tiebreaker between Harvard and Dartmouth? I'm not sure. So these are the games you have to win because these are the teams fighting for the spots that you're going to have a chance to get to. To your point, too, Maury, on Paxton Wojcik, it's a great one. Scoring, eighth in the league. Rebounding, fourth in the league. 
assists sixth in the league. Minutes per game, number one. Mm, 34.4 minutes per game, number one in the league. Number two is Keno Lilly Jr. So these guys have had to step forward. But you're a great point on Paxson. He's had to do everything. Yeah, and Kino's been really good. He'll get the the all Ivy all Ivy League nod, uh, first or second league, and he's been pretty efficient for a guy that uh, that was a top of scouting report as a true sophomore. But I mean, Paxson deserves to to be in that conversation. Yeah, Paxson gives you so much in terms of how hard he competes, and you know he's putting up those numbers because of how hard he plays every night and, and just how up for it he is. And you can tell he's put in a lot of work in the offseason to be able to play those minutes and be so effective. Um, I guess this is what you would expect out of a coach's kid. I, I know it's stereotypical to think that those guys are always you know going to be gritty in some way and smart in some way and know how to work and know how to be responsible and can follow a scouting report and all that stuff. But you know, he fits the stereotypes to AT uh, and gets the most out of his ability. He's certainly doing that this season. Um, to that point, he and Lily both playing 85% of minutes, which is a heavy load for both guys. Uh, Brown doesn't have anyone else over 66% of minutes. So they've they've ridden those two guys really hard. Um, you know, Nana Wusunane is, is looking a little bit lonely in the front court these days. Uh, you know, we shouldn't. Miss the fact that he was the Ivy League Player of the Week last week uh, when he dominated Columbia with 27 points and 18 rebounds in 29 minutes. Uh, gives you an idea of the talent that that guy has and the amount that he's progressed from last year. Uh, it's just a matter of how much they're going to be able to help him up front going forward. Coit, you're absolutely right. They need Dan Friday in the lineup this weekend. Uh, doesn't look like Malachi Nadir is going to be able to play. He has a knee injury. Uh, Kalu Anya is battling a hand injury that he suffered at Yale. Uh, we haven't seen him back since that game, and so you wonder if that's going to be a long-term thing. Uh, Nadur is is probably questionable for the rest of the season. Uh, if they were to lose Anya as well for the rest of the season, you're down two front-court bodies from a position group that was thin coming in as it was. Um, you know, so – Put a huge amount of pressure on Owusu Anane to, to continue to be productive. It would put a big amount of pressure on Friday, on Aaron Cooley, on Landon Lewis to give them good minutes up front. You look at their starting lineup the other night against Cornell, and, and granted, Cornell is a team that likes to get up and down. They play with great pace. So you're able to do something like this maybe more readily than against someone like Dartmouth who's very rugged up front. But you're really small in this lineup the other night starting. You've got Lily at six feet, Kimo Ferrari at six feet, Wojcik playing the three at six five, Aaron Cooley playing the four at six five, and Owusu Anane playing the five at six eight. Um, and you're not bringing anyone bigger than six seven off the bench. So, you know, at that point, pace becomes important, turnovers become important, uh, you know, rebounding becomes real important. The guys who can get to the glass who are rugged enough, will need to take care of that for you. Owusu uh, Anane is definitely one of those. Wojcik will be leaned on to be you know, most likely the secondary rebounder if if you don't get a lot of help from guys coming back. Um, you know, So that first game will be at Dartmouth on Friday. Uh, that's ESPN Plus from New Hampshire. Uh, Saturday they will be at Harvard. I think Nesson might be picking that one up. 
Did I see that right in my listings? Could be. Six o'clock tip. Uh, six o'clock tip in Cambridge. Um, be on the lookout for that. That could be ESPN Plus. That could also be Nesson uh, on Saturday night, and and that would be nice to see. Um, you know, because Nesson does a really good job with with their games uh, on their broadcast outlet. It's it's enjoyable for sure. Um, you know, guys wanted to hit on the PC women. Um, you know, because they are hosting the monolith in the Big East on Wednesday night. UConn comes to town. Uh, UConn coming off victories at Tennessee and at home against Villanova, a team that is competing with them toward the top of the league. Um, you know, obviously UConn being who they are, but playing without Paige Beckers, without AZ Fudd, uh, you know, and still the beat goes on in, in stores. Um, uh, they are in the top five nationally. Uh, that will be a seven o'clock tip at Alumni Hall. Um, game is going to be on SNY. I don't know if it's going to be picked up locally, uh, but the Friars coming off a road win against Xavier, fifty forty eight, snapped uh, two game losing streak. Uh, Xavier's at the bottom of the league on the women's side, uh, which made it important for Providence to take care of business, and they did so. Grace Sifosa had sixteen points. In the starting lineup, uh, Naraya Scott came off the bench with 10. Nobody else in double figures. Uh, Friars did a good job on the glass. Um, you know, did a good job defensively in a game that they really needed to win uh, to maintain some confidence coming in against UConn. That, that's just not a game that you can drop to a team that's 0-10. That's demoralizing. It'll be a long flight home. Uh, and now Providence is just able to go into this UConn game, I would think, free and easy and, and just think, hey, they're UConn. They lose a conference game like once every five years, if that. Let's just go out there, give it our best shot on our home floor, and see what happens. Absolutely. Um, and that's that's the best thing that you can sort of do in terms of your mentality going into a game like that with your PC. Um, you know, you've got players that have stepped forward. You know, how, how many games have we talked about where Grace Afosa just, like, bursts, you know, for this team, right? Um, you know, she's a junior uh, Naraya Scott, we talk about the, the younger players, the sophomore class. She stepped forward at times. Bryn Farrell's a junior. Um, you know, Olivia Olson's a sophomore. Um, and so this team can, you know, if they can put together some, you know, some good performances here, you know, it's a team that can kind of grow here throughout this season and, and even carry it on, you know, into next year as well. Um, and that's that's a that's a great thing to to build off of. But you're right, with UConn, just give them your best shot, man. Give me your best shot. You know how good they are. You know, that's the best thing you can do with a with a top five team. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at this. Can can Providence somehow manage to battle their way into the top half of the league? It's it's a really difficult calculus from the standpoint that this league is probably gonna have five teams in the NCAA tournament. Uh, you know, and more likely than not, they're gonna have two or three teams in in the WNIT. Um, you know, can Providence get to a point? where they approach 500 in the league. Uh, they're over 500 overall at this point. They're 13 and 10. They're four and eight in the conference. Can they get to a point where they can jump above DePaul, Georgetown, you know, possibly threaten 500 going into the conference tournament? If they're able to do that, they might be able to play some meaningful postseason basketball. And if they can do that, this sophomore class that they're clearly building toward over the next two years will get some valuable experience in, in that way. I mean, that's definitely something that, that you want to keep an eye on, uh, you know, going into Wednesday night, um, you know, certainly for the Friars. I, I mean, 
who expects him to beat UConn? You know, no one but the people in that locker room and on that coaching staff. And a lot of times it's great to close ranks in that way and say, hey, look, no one expects us to win. We're playing at home. Let's just go out and give it a try. And UConn's coming off two huge games, obviously, rivalry with Tennessee and a game at the top of the league against Villanova. Can you catch them sleeping a little bit? Can you catch them a little thin? And who knows? Stranger things have happened. College sports are the greatest because of that. Um, you know, lastly, guys, we'll take a look at Bryant. Uh, Maury and I were up there earlier today for media access. Uh, the Bulldogs trying to snap a two-game losing streak Wednesday night. They host Maine at the Chase Center. Uh, that's a 7 o'clock tip. Uh, Bryant has really gotten skunked in their last two games on the road. 19-point uh, loss at UMass Lowell, 17-point loss at Binghamton. Two games that they were out of pretty much by the half. They got jumped uh, in the first half by the Riverhawks. Uh, you know, and and certainly, again, uh, by the Bearcats. Um, you know, you look at Bryant, and I think they're they're sort of in a little bit of a lull here in the midpoint of the season. They're 4-4 four and four in the league. They're not necessarily contending for a home game in, in the quarterfinals at the moment. Uh, they need to put on a, a bit of a move here in February to to get one of those home games in the quarterfinals. Um, and I think this is sort of life on the other side. I, I think a lot of nights in the NEC, they had more talent. They had more edge. They were just going to play harder than most of those teams, and they could overwhelm them. And I think you know, the America East is a better league. It's certainly better than I gave it credit for um, with Bryant coming in. Uh, you know, and I, I think – this is a, a little bit of a reality check, the last two games, uh, you know, that it is just difficult. It's tough sledding in a better conference, uh, and it's going to force them to find a different way to the finish line. Yeah, I, I think with America East, uh, you know, it's not just Brian. I think it's it's other teams, maybe even this season, uh, that have realized just how difficult it is on a night-to-night basis. Um, you know, look at Vermont beating Bryant, you know, at home earlier on in the schedule. And what happens the next game? They get beat up in their next game. You know, and UMass Lowell, same thing. They've had a couple of nights where it's like, okay, you know, they get a big win. And then all of a sudden they bounce back and get beat up by, I think it was UNH or something like that by like 20. You know, so it's this is a very, very difficult conference. Bryant is finding that out the hard way right now. Um, you know, and Bryant has gotten itself back to, you know, what it well at at some point with NJIT got back to full strength with Kayvon Kramer, um, and then of course they missed Sharif Gross Bullock this weekend going to the concussion protocol. Which good to hear today that he's out of that concussion protocol because obviously having one of the top scorers in the conference is important to have on the floor, especially if you want to bounce back. Um, and so you know that that will be a good thing. But yeah, the UMass Lowell game uh, they got popped. They got popped. Um, we knew that, that the Riverhawks had the size that they did with a guy like Koulibaly. Um, you know, it wasn't just necessarily the points, but the rebounds in the first half. It was just UMass Lowe was beating them to everything. Um, and that can't make the coaching staff happy. Um, and so, you know, we'll see how they respond here. But growing pains in their in their new territory is, is what's happening here for sure. And, you know, you're going to have some good, nice bounce back opportunities here. Uh, some chances to pop some of those teams back because you still have UMass Lowell at home on the schedule. You still have Vermont at home on the schedule. Um, and so opportunity will come knocking again for the Bulldogs, but important for them to bounce back. And, you know, they got to do it fast, even with a team like Maine, who is trying to build their way back up. You know, don't count out the Black Bears and their new sort of style under Chris Markwood because he's 
you know, he's a guy that's, I think, bringing a little bit of that modern edge, you know, to, to their game in, in Orono. Yeah, I mean, Black Bears are coming in having won three straight. And if they if they get Bryant tomorrow night on Wednesday, Bryant would be in eighth place out of nine uh, at the end of the night. So uh be interesting to see what, what Bryant can do. It is one of those conference tournaments that you see in March to to Koch's point of like how deep the league is. Like you wouldn't be surprised if it's like the four seed versus the six seed in the conference championship game. It just it just happens to be, you know, a league that that is, you know, it's there's just a ton of parity. Only three games separate one through eight right now in the standings. Uh, I think, t- you know, when I look at it, X's and O's wise, the big thing I'll look for this week and two games that they have to have at home against Maine and, and New Hampshire. Uh, is going to be the yeah, defensive side of the ball. Three point on the three point line, they they're only allowing teams to shoot about around thirty three percent. But inside the arc, it's 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 up over fifty percent, well over fifty percent. I think it's closer to fifty three percent. So uh, it's a combination of things. It's limiting penetration. Uh, they've gotten hammered on the glass. So when you give up offensive rebounds, it's easy stickbacks. It's foul shots. Uh, easy points at the line, and then it's also. Uh, three pointers off of offensive rebounds. Uh, you're also defending for longer, um, and uh, so it's a combination of really all those things. So I think defensively, it's got to start there. Offensively, they're skilled, they're talented. They have two of the three best uh, scores in the league. Uh, you could even make the case that you know across the Northeast or across New England, Sharif Grossbullock and Charles Pride could play you know with any you know with any team. Um, or or many teams across the region, uh, just with how, how gifted they are offensively. But the offensive numbers don't matter uh, if they give up 80 points a game like they are in conference play. So uh, big week for Bryant. And it's also big as we talk about sort of the stretch in February moving into March. It's not a neutral site tournament. It's still home sites like the NEC was. So if you are five through eight, you're most likely on the road for three games you know, barring a, a major upset. So you, it, it's important for Bryant to at least get to the four line. So they have at least one home game. Uh, but if you can get to, if you can squeak your way up to the two, which they're only one game behind New Hampshire. And if, like I said, if they beat Maine and New Hampshire this week, they'll have swept um, New Hampshire. So if you get to the two line, then you're, then you're, you know, most likely at home for two before the championship. So, um, def- I'm going to look for for some improvements defensively, uh, and you know Jared Grasso said they're they've made adjustments, so we're going to see if if they do and if they can, and uh, you know they probably got to go six and two uh, in their last eight games to to get to that ten win mark, which should you know hopefully get them near the top of the league. And they're uh, three oh five in adjusted defense right now, one ten point eight points uh, per hundred possessions. Almost six more points per hundred than they gave up last year. The worst defense that they've played since Jared Grasso's debut in Smithfield. And, uh, you know, we all saw that. That was a full rebuild. Um, You know, these guys don't, you know, they don't necessarily guard well from two or from three. I think the one number that jumps out to me, though, guys, is 298 in turnover percentage on defense. And and this is a team that wants to play with pace, that wants to get on on the break and, and score on the run. The easiest way to do that, the most efficient way to do that is creating live ball turnovers and getting out two on one, three on two, four on two. Uh, how many times did we see it last year where it's Peter Kiss and Charles Pride just running free down the floor? Um, you know, last year, 
weren't necessarily a high turnover team on defense last year either, but it feels like offensively they're a little more limited in terms of ball movement, um, in terms of shooting, really. Um, you know, not really as good, uh, you know, in terms of guys who, who are going to make threes. Uh, it doesn't feel like they have the variety of three-point shooters that they had last year. I, I know that, you know, their percentage is much better, um, you know, but I feel like that's because less guys take them. I feel like they had more guys last year who could make them. Uh, you know, Peter Kiss was a guy who dragged down their percentages quite a bit, um, you know, but you don't really have that outlet guy like Adam Alita, who who is just exclusively a three-point shooter. Uh, you know, Charles Pride shot at a very high percentage, uh, you know, going into this season. For his career, he'd shot the three well. Um, you know, he's 32% last year. He'd been better than that previously. Um, you know, but I, I just think it's, it's difficult, I think, for a pace team if you want to come out and say, well, you know, we're going to run and – you know, that's what we want to do, and we want to force tempo on you and make you get up and down. I, I think forcing turnovers would be one of the easiest ways to do that, and they don't necessarily do that in, in, among this group. Um, you know, So I wonder if that's one of the adjustments they make, if they you know, try to do more than just full-court pressure off makes, if, if they try to you know, maybe do a little bit more in the half court, whether it's trapping or, or getting out of their zone a little bit and trying to play man and, and overplay the wings and overplay the, the dribbler a little bit. Uh, you know, I'd be curious if if that's something they try uh, against Maine because it's certainly, uh, you know, they've had their difficulties uh, against Lowell and, and against Binghamton and, and certainly something needs to change there. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, yeah, just just maybe taking it's sort of like taking a step back from what they want to do, I guess. Right, Bill? Like and, you know, I because I, I feel like watching that UMass Lowell game. Yes, the offensive rebound statistic was probably the the stat of the game. 20 offensive rebounds for the Riverhawks. I mean, you give up 20 offensive rebounds. I mean, that is way, 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 way too many second, third chances. But wow. I, I felt like the UMass Lowell beat them at their own game in the first half. Like Bryant wants to get out on the run and they're not hitting the shots that they want to hit. And it felt like UMass Lowell would turn it the other way and boom, they would do to Bryant what Bryant wanted to do to them. Um, you know, and they've got talent at a lot of positions, but um, that, that just, it stood out to me watching that, the, the, the number of shots they were hitting the offense they put together in that first half. And, it's almost like they beat them at their own game. So maybe it maybe this the step here is to slow it down just a little bit, just to sort of take your step back and say, okay, you know, what can we do well? And then we'll speed it back up again when we want to, we want to push the pace or force a turnover here or there, or whatnot. But um, you know, clearly they gotta try to do something different here because it hasn't worked the last couple of games. Nope. Uh they they certainly need something here to get back on track for sure. Uh, you know, they have a chance. Against Maine on Wednesday night, um, starts a two-game homestand. They will have New Hampshire here over the weekend. I, I think I'm going to get to that one on Saturday. Um, and then they play four of their last six on the road. Um, you know, so really, these are two games that they probably need to have, uh, you know, going forward. Uh, to Maury's point, if they want to get themselves into that top four and find a home game, um, you know, I think it would behoove them to, to get these next two. And, you know, ultimately – Six and two might get it done, but I don't know if much short of that does. When you're sitting there four and four, you really need 
to step on the gas here. And, and you know, I wonder if, if Bryant comes out with a little extra urgency on Wednesday. Uh, gentlemen, anything else? I think that uh, covers all the bases here. I'm all set, Koch. How about you? Uh, you know, I'm feeling pretty good, honestly. I, I've had uh, had games on in the background while we've been doing this. Um, you know, watch VCU outlast Davidson on the road. Uh, UConn made a huge run late in the first half against DePaul, but now it's tightening up in the second. Uh, you know, Dayton playing Loyola Chicago early in the first half on the other network. So I'm I'm having my I'm having myself a decent little Tuesday night here. On the couch. I know you guys are both grinding out in the office. I I feel like a total pig just, you know, sitting here alone and you know, not working so hard. I, I, I feel uh you know a little bit underutilized here. Um, you know, but generally not so bad. What do you think we're doing right here? This is work. <laughs> this is fun. Uh, this is I, what this is what you call stealing money. I stealing money. I, I say to my good friend Chris Ursillo, I'm on a 90-10 ratio with work. 90% of the time I steal, the other 10% I earn. Um, you know, and and like I like to tell people, my brother's a firefighter in Pawtucket. He has the real job. I do not. Uh, I get to watch games for a living and chop it up with you fine gentlemen over such important topics like college basketball. I mean, really, not solving the world's problems here. Um, you know, but, uh, generally not so bad for a Tuesday. I will not complain. Well, if you're listening to this podcast in the next hour and a half, make sure you tune in to the local news this evening for all your highlights and scores as well. <laughs> Is that the official, uh, Saturday morning radio voice right there? The, the read voice? <laughs> <laughs> I could do, I mean, if college basketball fans, I could do the Learfield voice if you want for every every radio broadcast for every, you know, on the Learfield Sports Network. <laughs> Brody Basketball. <laughs> Brown Bears Basketball. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's beautiful. That's right. Bears Basketball. The, the machine sounder. That's right. Yep. Oh, yeah. That's right. right. From Learfield. Yeah. <laughs> Now here's the here's the voice of the Bears, Scott Kordishi. I, I love I love how you know the Friars have the uh, they've got the broadcast booth sponsored, and it's really just <laughs> John Rook, Joe Hassett, and and two producers sitting courtside, and it's like yeah they're in the booth all right. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah it's, it's just like, yep. Here's how we make uh, here's how we make media, folks. <laughs> don't don't tell everyone the truth. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, all right, guys. With that, we'll wrap it up. I, I appreciate you both taking time out of your busy schedules on this Tuesday. Um, appreciate folks for for tuning in. Uh, busy Wednesday. Lots to recap in the next edition of the pod. We very much look forward to the start of February and one of the two best months of the college hoop season. Thank you all for joining us. <laughs>